At this time, I'd like to light John up. This is his last Sunday preaching for us um, from City Gate, and uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure you guys have known to just hear his sermons each week. Um, and as part of our Easter Above and Beyond offering, we took um, donations in for their uh, Converge grant uh, when they were planted. And so with your guys' generosity and support on that, along with our missions fund and your guys' general giving, uh, we are proud to say that that is paid off. And you guys can accept. <laughs> so now we will uh, encourage that as we can both now uh, take on some global missionaries and see God's work done. So, wow. You didn't tell me that part. <laughs> Praise God. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Romans 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans in your New Testament. If you get to Galatians and Ephesians, you've gone too far. Go back the other way. That is, uh, if I keep referring to what just happened, I'll probably cry. And I'm a man, so I'm not going to do that in front of you. Uh, it is a joy to have the support of Ascending Church like this one. We've been wanting to engage in global missions for quite some time, but we wanted to be honorable to our church planning agency to make sure we replenish the fund that we use to plant. So that's how it works. You replenish the fund, the fund that you use, and then you know everybody kind of has the honor system. You take on missionaries after that. So uh, we have a lot of missionaries lined up to go and send to the nations or support. So praise God for that. Um, all right, you're at Romans 13. You've got to just keep your finger there for a minute. And we will make our way to that text. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for your church, the courageous joy of your people, the generosity of not only you giving the Son to us, but us giving ourselves to one another. We thank you that you are with us, that you are among us, that you inhabit our praises, that you are a God who is truly there. You are the creator of heaven and earth, and you have chosen us before the foundations as your children so that we would now go and do the works that you have set before us. We thank you for Pastor Ray and Grace, who I'm sure soon, maybe or maybe not, might be traveling back from Florida. We thank you for allowing them to be rested, to, pro to be protected, and we ask that you would Hold them fast as they continue to shepherd God's people. We thank you for calling them to this great work. We thank you for sending them to labor, the harvest. We thank you for their sacrifice, their boldness, their love, their humility. We thank you for their family. We praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fully paid off. All of it. In week one of this sermon series, I, I admitted that these um, presentations were more like Lermans. Remember that term? Lecture and a sermon. So if you walked away and thought, man, I just got lectured. I warned you. And if you walked away and thought, that wasn't really a lecture. That was more like a sermon. I need more information. I warned you. Okay? So I am free of any accusation of not being honorable to my own word. Today is going to feel more like a lecture because of the topic that we must tackle. And in order to do this, I have organized my sermon not necessarily in story form, so I manuscript everything that I say. It's word for word. That way I don't say anything wrong. Um, <laughs> there's room for the Holy Spirit. Don't judge me. But uh, I have organized what I'd like to share with you this morning just in, in points. So that's how I'm going to be working through uh, the topic of the government of the state. So let's start with... A bit of a reminder from week one, Jesus is Lord. That's, that's the foundation for everything. He is the risen Savior. He is seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father, and he will rule and reign until all, of his, all his enemies are under his feet. That is what the Bible says. Everyone and everything is commanded to bow or kiss and pay homage to the Son. That's Psalm 2. And that means the whole world is commanded to come and, and be reverent and show honor and praise to the Lord and Savior of the cosmos. And this means the church of Jesus Christ, his body, his hands, his feet, his people, 
ought to desire for the nations to worship him in this way. And we ought to give our lives proclaiming this good news. That sin has been paid for, that the slaves will go free, and that people are being made new day after day after day. Amen? That's the gospel. Now, this week I'd like to not necessarily condemn the church, but make an observation. It's the accuser who condemns the church, right? Not the brethren. But we do have to deal with some of the ways in which we have fallen short as God's people. What I would like to argue today is that we, the church, have not been truly obedient to our Lord. To be more specific, we have not been truly obedient to the two greatest commandments that he has given us to obey. If you take the law and the prophets, Jesus says essentially everything that God commands can be boiled down into two great commandments. That's Mark chapter... Yeah. Um, hold on. Uh, so love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That, you can take everything in the Bible and put them in those two commands. So if the church of Jesus Christ is obeying those commands, you are essentially obeying God the Father. So loving your neighbor as yourself is one of the ways in which we have failed. We have failed because we for so long thought loving our neighbor as ourself meant just sharing our eggs and milk. That was sufficient. Loving your neighbor as yourself was serving them in a time of need, and that is great. Loving your neighbor as yourself is more than that. It looks like desiring for your neighbor what God has done for you, a phrase I've used the last several weeks. Have we, the church, been obedient in that way? And I would say, no, we have not. So I want you to consider what God has done for you. And Paul tells the once pagan men and women in the church in Ephesus what God has done for them. That's the whole letter that he writes to that church. They were once dead in their trespasses and sins. They were once sons of disobedience. They were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, by the way, that's the greatest word in the Bible. But God. And when I say that at our church, all the kids giggle. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made them alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is what God has been doing throughout the world, saving people by his great grace. This is what is good for you. This is what is good for your neighbor. To be taken as a child of wrath and turn into a child of God. Now, the church in Ephesus is filled with men, men, women, and children, entire families who once worshipped at the altar of a pagan god, the god Artemis, the great Diana. But after they had received the truth of Jesus Christ, they were no longer worshipped. They no longer went to the temple to worship Artemis, but instead they sought to tear her down. Not with fire and axes and swords, but they sought to bring down the idol, the pagan false god who led many astray. So when you read the letter of Ephesians, what you're actually reading is a, a war plan for the church in their city. That's what you're reading. Paul is penning Holy Scripture, telling the church, who they are to be and how they are to do it in a city dominated by falsehood, lies, and pagan worship. Those who once worshipped her now spent the rest of their lives saving people from her false worship. And just to defend preachers who get a little bit edgy in their sermons, I can't imagine the Christians at Ephesus received that letter from Paul, but then said... I don't know about sharing these words with my neighbor. It all seems a bit too unloving to tell them that they're wrong, to tell them that they are children of wrath, to tell them that God does not commend what they are doing. Maybe we should do this in secret. Maybe we should not let these good words of God out. I don't think the church in Ephesus did that. Maybe they were tempted to, I'm sure, but I don't think they did that. I don't think they said, I'm not sure we should be too loud with this new way of living, this gospel, the good news about the grace, salvation, submission, obedience, and authority, and sacrifice. This all seems a bit too unloving for those who are going to the temple each and every day. 
It all seems quite unloving to go to our neighbor who has three wives at home, two wives in the temple, and a bunch of unruly children to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I do not think that was their outlook. I think the church of Jesus Christ at Ephesus was bold to proclaim the good news of the gospel because they had experienced the grace of God which comes in Jesus Christ. They had been set free. And this is what they wanted for their city, and this is what they wanted for their neighbor. Church, we must reject the lie that it is unloving to expose evil and call our neighbors to repentance. We must reject that lie. Stop feeling bad. If you're doing it in an unchristian way, you should feel bad. Stop feeling bad when you say what God has said in the way that God has said it. In the way that God has said it. Not in the way that you want to say it. <laughs> you got to dial that back. Do not apologize for saying the things that God has said. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, point out the evil works of darkness and expose them. That's what he tells the church to do. He says, point them out, mark them, and expose them. But today, we sit here, and we worship our Lord, and it is good. It is really good. Yet we are afraid to expose the evil works of darkness around us. We are afraid to say what is clearly obvious to pretty much everybody. And that is not loving to those who are enslaved by their sin. That is not loving. When we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, we will put the false idols of our day and all of the false priests and priestesses who are right now gathering worshipers for themselves, we will put them on notice. We ought to put them on notice. The gospel is here. Christ has won. You cannot defeat him. Come and worship Jesus. That's our message. Stop fighting. You're not going to win. He's the reigning Lord and Savior. He came back from the dead. You can't. He wins. That's our message. This is who the church is to be before the state. We are called to disciple the nations. And this is exactly who we are to be. Point number three. When you consider the government of the state, we should recognize that our nation is on a mission to destroy itself because the church has failed to proclaim the fullness of the gospel. So when it comes to how this nation is governed, Christians ought to be bold with the truth of God's word. And the founders realized this was true, and they realized the word of God was the most important foundation of any and all civilization. Right? So now... You've said, okay, you encourage me as a Christian to be bold, but now you're, I have an objection, Mr. Preacher Man. I have an objection because, ah, 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 separation of church and state. Don't bring that churchy stuff over here to the Capitol. You're not allowed to do that. After all, it's, it's in the Constitution. Focus on Jesus. Leave everything else to us. So we must deal with this objection. And this is the first objection always launched at the Christian when they attempt to call our nation to repentance. And a little bit to prepare you for this, I, I want to let you know, every time a pagan stands before you demanding that you stay neutral with what you believe, just realize they're not. They're not, or else they wouldn't say for you to stop. You want to know why the world is winning? Because they believe families are nuclear power plants, like I told you two weeks ago, and they believe their worldview wins. Do Christians believe that? We don't, because we've been told to stay neutral. Stop talking about what you believe. Stay over there. And this is why they are conquering. They've conquered schools, universities, marketplace, Congress, the White House, businesses. Who's they? Well, those who don't worship Christ. Those who are asking you to stay neutral and stay home. They don't believe their own advice. They're not living by it. Everyone has a worldview. Ideas have consequences. Everyone is doing what they believe to be true. So why are Christians remaining at home? Not ever going into the public square to demand people listen to what is true. 
They've already conquered professional sports, except golf. They're not willing to buckle. They're attempting to conquer youth sports. Stop listening to the people who tell you to keep your faith to yourself, because they're not. And they're winning. And they're winning because you, you feel bad. You're, they're winning because you say, oh, I guess I better not do that. They might point at me and laugh. I get laughed at a lot. It's okay. Come join the team. Now let's deal with this objection. Glenn Sunshine and Gary DeMar both do a great job of helping Christians respond to this type of objection. It is a myth that the First Amendment calls for separation of church and state. That's a myth. It's wrong. When an individual is questioned as to whether or not a Christian should involve themselves in the political realm, a protest is made, these are the words of Gary DeMar, a protest is made by an appeal to the separation of church and state found in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Many Christians usually do not have an answer when they are confronted with this standard argument. Most people do not realize that the First Amendment says nothing about church and states or separation between the two. It simply says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's what it says. The founders knew how important it was to ensure the Congress that Congress could make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise of religion. And we agree with what that says. We love that. That's a Christian idea. <laughs> you like freedom? Think a Christian. You like the separation of powers? Think a Christian. You like to be able to say whatever you want to say without being arrested? Think a Christian, because that's where it comes from. It comes from God's worldview. Generally, the pagan gets into the Christian car only to crash it. The founders knew how important it was to ensure that Congress could make no law respecting the establishment of religion. And the aim here is that Congress would not establish a state church. That is the aim. And we are for this. We do not want Congress, can you imagine, establishing a church. But we are, what we are not for is the separation of morality and state. We're not for that. We should believe the morality of God is good for this state. Make sense? We're for what the Constitution says, but we are not for separating the morality and goodness of God's word and the state. We're watching that play out right now because we think those things should be separate. Either the state is ruled by God's law or the state is ruled by man's law. There is no in-between. And we are for the church and the state remaining separate, but we should want the state and morality to remain together. Someone will rule. An idea will conquer. And it will either be the goodness and truthfulness of God's holy word, or it will be the wretchedness of the children of wrath. One of those two will win out. G.K. Chesterton wrote, it is only by believing in God that we can ever criticize the government. Abolish God and the government becomes God. Abolish God and the government becomes God. The fact is written across all of human history. Wherever the people do not believe in something beyond the world, they will worship the world. Wherever people do not believe anything is above the sky, they will worship the sky. But above all, they will worship the strongest thing in the world, which is how every dictator has come to power. There is a vacuum of empty worshipers to be gathered and to be coerced, and that is where evil men take their aim. Get rid of God and people will obey something. Morality and state ought never be separated. And who better than the church of Jesus Christ to disciple the nations in this way? Who better to explain how heaven has come down to restore the ugliness of this world? Who better than you? I, I don't even know you, but I already know there's no one better. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, there is no one better. You have the spirit, and you have the gifts, and you have the word. Who better to tell the nations what God demands? No one better than the church of Jesus Christ. There is no one better. And the founders of our nation realized this. 
They realized that liberty, freedom, and prosperity could only be enjoyed by those who were not enslaved to their sins, but rather who had been set free from the enslavement of their sins. If you wonder why our nation has zero regard for the Constitution, it's not because they disagree with it. Most people don't even know what it says. It's not because they're not taught its significance, although they're not. At this moment in our history, our nation has zero regard for the Constitution of the United States because we are wicked and immoral. Why would any wicked and immoral person care about the freedoms offered in the Constitution of the United States? They're enslaved to their sin. What do they want freedom for? Freedom? We don't want freedom. We want to increase the internet signal for free so we can view those detestable flickering images of men and women on our computers without stopping. We want the ability to murder unborn children whenever the mood hits us. We want the ability to buy weed at a store in the same way we buy bread. In fact, just throw a delivery option in there as well. We want the ability to determine our gender. We want the ability to say that whatever is true today is true for me. It's like the Jim and Pam situation in the office, one of the most annoying episodes of the entire thing. Well, to speak my truth. But it's funny, but it's like weird, right? To speak my truth. Freedom? We don't want freedom. We want the spigot of sin turned on full blast. We want to be controlled by our lusts and governed by our fleshly desires. And we want our land not to only tolerate our sin, but we demand our land celebrate our sin. Who cares about a document that affords people liberty and freedom? <laughs> I don't even want it. I'm controlled by my sin. That's the reason why most of you are confused as to why people are doing what you're doing. You think they care to live free. They don't care. How can they? They have yet to be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not want to be crass. That is not my job. But I want to plainly say these words. If you read Romans chapter 1 and the wrath of God against mankind, it is evident that sin makes people stupid. In the truest of sense, not in a mockery kind of way. You lose your mind. It gets corroded, and you can't even think straight. That's dangerous. We don't want that for our neighbors. We don't want them to live in such a way. And church, this ought to break our hearts. There are people enslaved to their sins. And it ought to break your heart, because just like the Ephesians, so were you. Notice what Paul writes to every single church in the New Testament, and so were you, and so once were you. He's doing that on purpose. <laughs> He's reminding you of what God has saved you from. It ought to break our hearts that there are people living right now enslaved to their sin. They have yet to taste the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. So stay at home, stay at home and huddle up and wait, or go. I say go. I say speak. I say serve. I say love. No more should the church be put back on our heels to remember the golden rule of be nice and separation of church and state. Don't, no more are we going to believe that it's good to not talk about religion or politics. Don't get fired over it. Just relax. But don't, right? don't shy away from those conversations. People are suffering, and they need to hear about the one who can set them free. Now, Noah Webster, the man who wrote the American Dictionary of the English Language in 1828, he also said this, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all of our civil constitutions and laws. What other document should govern the nations? The Bible. That's the one. That, if we believe it's true and we believe it's good, what other thing would we want to build civilization? We should want nothing else but then the law of God. 
All of the miseries and evils which men suffer from, vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war, proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. That's why we should not back away. That's why we should go forth. Because the truth of God's word will set people free. Noah Webster and many others like him knew that the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ and the regenerate Christian were all necessary elements if we were going to form a constitution that allowed for the liberty and freedom for all people. They knew that. They knew that. Number four, the state is a legitimate institution from God. All right, so we're on the topic of the state. Consider that a long introduction. Point number four. And it's 940. I'm going to, it'll be okay. The state is a legitimate institution from God, and God has given them legitimate authority. We must remember this. Now look at Romans 13. So let's figure out what authority God has given to the state. We're going to read seven verses. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. This is him instructing Roman Christians how they are to live in their city. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, we will come back to that, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Now, this is probably the most popular text of Scripture for the last 16 months. Ever since 14 days to flatten the curve. This right here, has been the most sought-after text to figure out what this is telling us to do. And many Christians argued over what the text meant when it came to obeying the state's response to COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 is just an easy example that we can use this from. It's, it's one that we've all lived in, so that's why I'm using it. It's an easy one to help us understand what we're supposed to be doing. And I would argue, though, that many people that we're calling everyone to obey whatever the state says does not have a true understanding of what Paul says right here in Romans 13. If a church is closed, or if the church limited the glorious worship of Jesus Christ on the account of Romans 13, they are wrong. They're wrong. In this text, we are given the clear boundaries of the state. The state is a minister of God, or the other word is deacon of God. They are servants of God. That's what it says. God is sovereign. He puts people in those positions. We need to remember that, right, church? God has appointed everyone in every place at all times. He knows what's happening. He's not like, wait, I just turned my back for one second, you weirdos, and look what you've done. Goodness gracious. He doesn't doesn't do that. The state is a minister and a servant of God. Now, that comes with responsibility. But the state is a minister of God who has the power to wield the sword for what? Punishing the evil doer. And as a minister of God, those who have been given the authority to wield the sword are called to submit themselves to God. Don't forget that. Does the state have certain authority? Yes. Can they make up whatever authority that is? No. Who should they submit themselves to? Well, Paul says, God, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. When an officer of the state or a governor or any other politician in power as a minister of God thinks that there is no God above them, that's when it gets really, really bad. 
It's like a father who disciplines his children, yet remains to be authoritative under God. That child thinks that man is God. Make sense? That is not a healthy way to raise your kids. Your kids need to see you under the authority of God. That's healthy. So the state has legitimate authority to punish the evildoer. And what should they do with those who do good? They should commend them. What are we seeing today? The complete opposite. Charles Hodge said that there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. This is Romans 13.1. All authority is of God. No man has any rightful power over other men, which is not derived from God. All human power is delegated and ministerial. All human power is given to people by God and governed by God. You don't get to do whatever you want. Now, notice that before Paul tells the church in Rome to obey the state on certain matters, he starts with God as the ultimate authority. And that is what we need to remember. About Romans 13. Well, hold on. Not only have we lost sight of these boundaries for the government of the state, we have believed the lie that the state is not subject to God. People all over believe that. They are the final authority. And I mentioned this last week when referring to the words of Jesus when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God that are God's. This is Mark chapter 12. And yes, Caesar has legitimate authority, but Caesar must look to the law of God to determine what that authority is. He doesn't get to make it up as he goes. Romans 13 says the authority of the state is for punishing the evildoer, not for punishing those who are doing good. That's backwards. About Romans 13, Gary DeMar again in his book, God and Government, says, For many, being a minister means being a dictator. The typical ruler of Jesus' day was a tyrant. The kings of Gentiles lorded over them, Jesus says. This is the great example of lording it over a people. This was a tyrannical government in Rome. The distinguishing characteristic of true leadership is that of being a servant, a servant of God. A minister in the biblical sense always places the welfare of others first. The ministry of civil government does not exist to serve its own needs. God put them there to serve the needs of people. Civil governments do not exist for their own end. The true minister, the true servant, exists to serve others, but never apart from the laws of God. In case of the civil magistrate, the duties of service are spelled out by Paul in Romans 13, verses 3 through 4. Now, additional duties of the civil government are a well-ordering of society and maintaining of peace so that Christians are free to worship God, unhindered by forces hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why does God put people in place in charge of the state? You want to know what Paul says in verses 3 and 4? So that Christians can move freely and share his message of salvation to all people. Have you ever thought about that? That's why they're there. And to punish the evildoer. Why else would they be there? To keep the status quo? No. God has broke in. He has sent his son. And we are to proclaim that goodness to the nations. So he says, I shall put my ministers in place and they shall be people of peace so that my church can spread and flourish so that the gospel can conquer. The civil government must be made to realize that there is no real peace without the presence of Jesus Christ. Why does Paul tell the Ephesians to put on the gospel shoes of peace? Because they're to go with the gospel of peace throughout all of Rome. That was their job. The climate of peace can only be accomplished by administering justice and righteousness. And justice and righteousness are defined in terms of God's law. Civil rulers are commissioned to represent God as the judge. They act in such a capacity when they punish those who do evil, when they punish those who break God's law, as well as publicly commend those who do good. Romans 13 says the government of the state is a representative of God to punish the evildoer and to, and to commend and to thank those who do good. But what we've got is a state who will not allow you to live in the freedom and liberties of the Constitution, who will actually punish those who are doing good and fail to wield the sword. You ever notice that we actually don't punish the evildoer, we pity them, which is what God says to not do in his law. We pity those guilty of crimes. We take care of them for the rest of their lives. 
we should consider these things. What we are experiencing is a state who pities the evildoer and who punishes those who do good. That's why we are the way we are. Now, the state has certain authority over your family. If you do evil, they have the authority to punish you. That's what God has sent them for. If they build roads and provide great services, like police officers who protect us, people who put out fires and all those amazing things, they have the right to require those taxes, and you should joyfully and gladfully pay them. I'm thinking about trying to employ my own police service just to follow me around. I heard some people are looking for a job. We should be obedient to this authority, but the state does not have the authority to close the doors of the church or to keep your family from freely moving about the land in which God has placed you. That's not what they're for. They do not have the authority to keep you from gathering with your friends or your family or determine which restaurant you eat in or how many people can sit at your table. When the government said you can only fit six, my family was out. Should have sued for discrimination. I got seven people in my family. Can't go anywhere. You want my daughters to sit over there and my sons to sit over here? I don't understand. The state does not have the authority to trample upon the freedoms of those who do good. Romans 13 says the state should be commending those who do good, not terrorizing them. All of a sudden, that kooky friend of yours who is saying we would get to this point is starting to pop up in your mind. Not the really kooky ones, but the ones who thought this isn't good, this will lead to something bad. They may deserve a call from you if you treated them wrongly. Just consider that. Now let's do another real life example of how our state is operating outside of its authority. Let's talk about COVID-19 further. On top of the executive orders already issued by Governor Whitmer, which were put in place during COVID-19 response, here are the latest orders she has rolled out. And what I want you to do is think of what God has said in Romans 13 and how people should operate and should be submissive and put it against this test of the authority wielded by our state. The new goal is to minimize the spread of COVID-19 by encouraging vaccinations. Now, I hate to clarify things because it wastes time. I am for vaccinations. This is our father's world. Medicine is amazing. I love going to the dentist because it doesn't hurt. I like stitches because I stop bleeding, right? This stuff is good. Modern medicine is, is good. It's amazing. We learn new things about the body every day. People are living healthier, fuller lives because of these amazing blessings, okay? So get that out of your mind. It's not really about the medicine at all. But what I am against is how the state has leveraged the fear of death in order to punish those who do good. Currently, our state is 48% vaccinated for COVID-19. So, step one then is to get our state 55% vaccinated, at which point our gracious rulers will lift the state requirements that require employers to have their employees work from home. Now, we could stop here, but there's plenty more. This is all the information we actually need to realize that our ministers of justice are operating outside of their authority. If your fellow Michiganders choose to not get vaccinated, then if you are a business owner, you will probably be penalized if you want to call them into the building. Is that what Paul is asking us to submit to? Not in Romans 13, he's not. Step number two is to get our state 60% vaccinated, at which point our gracious governor will increase indoor capacity at sports stadiums to 25%. And you know what? Like, loud cheering at a baseball game is the reason you go. 25% of the people better be really loud from now on, or else it's just not going to be the same. They will increase indoor capacity at sports stadiums to 25% and increase capacity at conference centers and banquet halls and funeral homes to 25%. Own a banquet hall? Better hope the general public gets vaccinated or you need to find a different way to provide for your family. Is that what we're being asked to submit to in Romans 13? No. And the funeral home thing? I could probably go on for days. It's pure evil. Two days ago, my father was experiencing symptoms of a stroke, which he did. 
And there are so many stories like this. Like I've walked beside people this whole year with stories just like this. He goes in the hospital. They say, whoa, dude, your carotid artery is 98% clogged. We better clean it out. And he said, amen, let's clean it out. Get that modern medicine to work. <laughs> so put him into surgery right away. He has four children and 12 grandchildren that live within 50 minutes of him. Yet only one person could visit every 24 hours. So if his son wanted to go and pray with him to ease his fears, my mother could not visit him for the next 24 hours because of one word, COVID-19. Is this what we should be submitting to as Christians, according to Romans 13? No. Step number three is to get our state 65% vaccinated, at which point our gracious, tyrannical government will lift all door percentages and capacity limits requiring only social distancing between large parties. Step four is to get our state 70% vaccinated, at which point the Supreme Lord of our state will lift the gatherings and mask orders, no longer impose broad mitigation measures during the pandemic, unless, unless the virus threatens to overwhelm the medical system and other unanticipated circumstances arise, such as the spread of vaccine-resistant variants. Ah, everything can go back to normal unless there are circumstances that says it can't. If your pastor treated you like this, you would leave and report him to the authorities. If your parents treated you like this, you would get an apartment as fast as you could. If your boss treated you like this, you'd leave. Yet for a year and a half, we've been told, submit to Romans 13. It's wrong. Church, we live in a new country. It's weird, I'm 38 and I feel like that guy who said, remember, see that field over there? It used to be all forest, right? <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this at my age. I haven't earned that right yet. That's for older men and grandpas. I built that house. <laughs> I fixed that person's garage, right? That, that's what they get to do. But at my age, it's, it's startling that I can say we live in a new country, a country in which one word can shut down entire cities, close churches, close schools, and cause people to self-isolate. And if you think Dr. Anthony Fauci or President Joe Biden will one day soon announce to the nation that we've done it, we are turning the dial back to 2019 to restore what liberties and freedoms you once enjoyed, you are not realizing what is happening. Maybe it will happen and that's what we pray for. I doubt it. Because one thing is true of human governments that do not submit themselves to the law of God. They never take away rules, they just give you more. In fact, if any of these rules for COVID-19 go away, it'll be pretty amazing that the government actually said, we're well, going to stop doing what we told you you should do. From now on, no crisis will go to waste. So let's just consider the real evil of this. There are people who have suffered because a sickness has swept through our land. Don't be a denier. That's creepy. It's a real thing. And a lot of people have suffered. You can't even grieve with those who are suffering because you can't go and hold their hand. So instead, the hospitals fill up plastic gloves with water so people can feel comforted because you can't go and sit next to someone who may be dying soon. And there are people at our church who have been denied access to their parents. And they said, test me. I don't care. What do I got to do to get in? They said, sorry, you can't come in. No crisis from now on will go to waste. A nation who sent our youth to fight against tyranny throughout all the greatest generations. Our nation who put rifles in the hands of young men to go fight tyranny on the other side of the world is a nation that is doing whatever they're told at the snap of a finger. A nation who has sent men and women to rid the world of this type of leadership is now doing whatever they're told. And it should confuse us. And in a nation filled with guilt-ridden people, they have all the leverage they need in order to create a new society. 
Now, if the term conspiracy is popping up in your mind, I'm not really that guy. I would encourage you to just take things for what they are on the surface and don't explain them away. Just look at something, say to yourself back what is actually happening, and then just deal with it. We don't like what's happening, so we try to explain it away, and we just say, oh, tomorrow will be better. We pray, we pray that it will be. Now, I actually think what's happening is a tumultuous mercy. I'm excited, because Christ is one, I win. By my faith, I've overcome the world, and idols are being toppled. And the only thing left in the middle of all this rubble is going to be the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what we're calling people into. So when I say these things, I'm not telling you to run for the hills, right? Start a cult and grow corn. That's not, that's not what I'm telling you to do. Figure out how to churn your own butter, right, and do all that. That's not what I'm, I'm telling you to go evangelize your neighborhood. I'm telling you to smile at people and invite them over to your table. I'm telling you to relieve the fear of those who are living in fear by telling them that Christ is one. That's what I'm telling you to do. But we have to, we have to just look on the surface and observe what's happening. We, stop, we have to stop explaining it away. A nation filled with guilt-ridden people have all the leverage they need in order to do whatever they want. Pass some more money out? We'll stay quiet for another three months. Boost the internet signal? Release a few more Netflix series? Fill your news feed with dramatic images of police officers and black victims? And we'll just keep things rolling. It's wrong. During his first State of the Union address, President Joe Biden said this, quote, The terrorist threat has evolved beyond Afghanistan since 2001, and we will remain vigilant against threats to the United States. Praise God, wherever they come from. Amen. Al-Qaeda, ISIS are in Yemen, Syria, Somalia, and other places in Africa and the Middle East and beyond. Good. Praise God. Men go to war, defeat the bad guy, save people. It's a great story. He continued, and we won't ignore what our own intelligence agencies have determined. The most lethal terrorist threat, the most lethal terrorist threat to our homeland is from white supremacist terrorism. The most lethal threat? Some of you are thinking, well, you don't get to say that. You're white, right? And they've got you right where they want you. The most lethal terrorist threat? It's not about racism. It's not about vaccines. It's about what they can do with it. That's the point. This is the Romans 13 you want to submit to? As you follow the news, I don't necessarily see the lethal threat of white supremacists. What I do see is a bunch of disillusioned white youth burning down cities, precincts, because they are encouraged to pursue social justice. So, if our president is referring to the white kids who took part in destroying black-owned businesses, then yeah, we have a problem. This is an evil game played by tyrants. Everything that you're hearing. It's the same game that tyrants have played over and over and over again throughout history. This is not a new play. It's the same one that has ran over and over and over. Now, Back to our state. Did you ever think that the governor of Michigan would hold the power to tell every single restaurant owner in this state who they could allow in their building and when? According to her rules, we can't eat out together. Do you realize our governor has been given the power to the health department to close any business they choose? Unless, you, of course, you just take the medicine we tell you to take. There is something really wrong. This type of leadership does not reflect the beauty of the Constitution nor the goodness of God's laws. This type of leadership reflects the Communist Manifesto. And there are 10 points, and we've pretty much checked off six of them. Now, some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I love you, but you've got to read a book. That's what's wrong with our youth today. You mean I've got to like, read a book about this stuff? Yes. And I will do it with you, and we can go slow as you want. But we have to stop with the entertainment binge, and we have to read. 
We have to learn what has happened before us. Aristotle said that if the state, this is like 380 AD, if the state, they knew this a long time ago, if the state could be convinced as an eminent divine human order, then there was no possible appeal beyond the state. With no God and no divine and transcendent law, there is no appeal beyond the state. The state, not God, is now the sovereign Lord. There are people who are ministers of God who actually think they're God right now. There's a lot of them. And they're flexing their muscle. And before you think, but I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be peaceful and loving and calm. Yeah, you're supposed to fight like Christians. Put away wrath and malice and anger and all that. That's not who we are. But it's not wrong to stand against tyranny. And I could bring you a stack of books, and my library is small of Protestant resistant theory because our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all of history have already given us the tools we need to do it. It's happened all over the globe. Christians have said, stop. Your authority stops there. You need to submit yourself to God because you're not commending anything good to people. You're punishing good people. This is not a new concept to fight against tyranny. It's just not. It's happened for centuries with Christians. Not to mention that the same guy who wrote Romans 13 about submitting himself to the government is the same guy who broke out of a prison, got lowered down in a basket before anybody could see him. Why didn't he just stay if he's supposed to submit? He's the same guy who uses his Roman citizenship later to escape further persecution. Today, if you use your citizenship as an American as a defense of what's going on, you're just a white nationalist. Paul did it. That wasn't sin. I think that we could agree that there's all a line we draw in accordance to submission. What I'm suggesting is that we should have drawn the line way back when they made us pay a fine for not wearing our seatbelt. That's a joke. I'm trying to lighten up the mood. But don't you see? You mean I got to pay you 60 bucks to sit in my own car the way I want to sit in my own car? Yep, and we'll just... Drive around and catch you if you don't. You're like, well, wait a minute. Church, tyranny is wickedness. Rulers who lord their authority over people is wickedness. Our Lord and Savior says the way of the kingdom is the total opposite. The way up is down. The way to be first is to be last. That's not what we see in the world. And this is why the church needs to go and proclaim these truths. And the whole vaccination thing, again, it's not about the medicine. It's just another leverage to pull. Our governor, as of yesterday, I made sure to stay current, has issued 192 executive orders in relation to COVID-19. 192. The Michigan Health Department has issued 56. And just so no one was confused, they put those really colorful circles so you know where to stand. just in case you didn't know how to operate, just in case we have forgotten 150 years of science. They reminded you of where to stand. This is no small thing. It's laughable at times and it's weird, but it's not really a small thing. Now, how did we get here? We got here because as, okay. We got here because as a nation, we have not kept the one ultimate law. We have not loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Exodus 20 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. When you break that law, you're going to get hundreds more. That's how it works. Number five, God opposes a centralized government. I don't think I have to say too much about this, but observe the Tower of Babel. There's a reason he sent them away. Because what did they say? God said, spread out. Have fun, make a bunch of babies, conquer the land, grow some food, exchange some goods, laugh, be joyful. That's my rendition. But that's what God said. Look at this amazing world. Go enjoy it. It's beautiful. What do they do? They gathered together. They made a Babylonian ziggurat type of thing because they wanted to make a name for themselves and they wanted to reach God. You can't reach God without a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did God do? Well, my goodness, look at all these wicked sinners. Imagine what they can't do. So he said, stop. 
from the Tower of Babel to the Babylonian Empire to Hitler's Third Reich to Stalin's Iron Curtain to Pol Pot's communist massacres to our current administration's attempt to build a name for themselves throughout history, the nations rage and they plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed. It's the same play. The nations rage, the kings plot to attack to attempt to take their stand against the creator because they hate that God is transcendent. And like Stalin on his deathbed, right before he died, he shook his fist to the heavens at a God who he didn't believe was there. When you hear the rumblings of socialism, communism, and Marxism, those are not conspiracy theorists' friends, although they might be both. But... When you hear the rumblings of those words, these ideals ought to be outright rejected, not because we're Americans, but because we're Christians. God is opposed to centralized government. That's why there were 12 tribes. That's why Jethro told Moses to get a bunch more people involved. It's good. When you read between the lines and see how 200 plus executive orders can lead to a more visible dictatorship, you ought to outright reject them. So within reason, I'm going to say this, and Pastor Ray will correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Within reason, and this is Protestant resistance theory, this is not me. This is a bunch of men and women who lived in tyranny over the centuries and wrote it down of what to do. Within reason, whatever a tyrant commands of you, do the exact opposite. With a lot of joy and a big smile on your face. Not with anger, not with malice, not with hatred. Not with the sword, not with the bullet, not with venom from your mouth, with joy. People don't know what to do with joy. It's the greatest of weapons. It's not sinful to reject tyranny. And our Protestant forefathers wrote at great length of how to do this. I'm coming to a close right now. The sinfulness of man is not created. We keep circling the same cul-de-sac. The sinfulness of man will always lead the people in the direction of a one-world system because the kingdom of man is determined to build another empire and make a name for themselves. That's where it all leads to every time. We have the examples in the word. There is a reason that our nation was built upon the idea of decentralized governance. You want to know how to boil down the Constitution? Here's what it says. Never trust an American. And that's glorious. That's what the Constitution means. You don't have to trust each other. Here's a rule of law so you don't have to worry about that. Go raise a family, start a business, and move about. Work the land. Be nice to each other. Don't do evil to your brother. And in fact, I would argue the Constitution is for the leaders. (laughs) They need to read it way more than we do. The government of the state is to be a minister of God to punish the evildoer and commend who is good. It's not given the authority to quarantine the healthy and force people to live as though they are continually ill. That's not what they're for. And I'm telling you, that's not what we are called to submit to. We have a decision to make, and this goes back to the beginning and if, you, if Pastor Ray doesn't ever want me to come back, I promise I won't. This goes back to the beginning. As the people of God, we have a choice to make. And I think the choice of our faithfulness today will ring loud and clear through the grandkids and great-grandkids and great-grandkids that you will have. We've already talked about that. It doesn't end with you. You've got descendants coming after you like crazy. What we do today matters because it affects them. We either proclaim Jesus as Lord We proclaim that God's word is good or we obey and follow those who say we have no king but Caesar. Those are your only two options. How we live matters. I'm going to read a little bit from Acts chapter 5 and then I will close. And I appreciate you being very patient with me. But I don't know if I'll come back for a long time and I love you. So Acts chapter 5. You have the gospel flourishing. You have the apostles preaching. You have them healing. You have them showing signs and wonders that heaven has come down. It's glorious. It is glorious. The gospel is here. People are restored. Heaven has come down to earth just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Don't you see? 
Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we pray for. Well, so you've got these apostles, and they're preaching, and they're healing, and who gets mad? The tyrants. So the high priest rose up. This is verse 17. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and he said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Amen. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought out. But haha, when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported this. Verse 23. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. These men are gone. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Yeah, I bet they were. And when someone came and told them, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple. And guess what? They're doing that teaching thing again. Captain with the officers went and brought them. But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you to not teach in the name, yet here you are, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this blood, man's blood upon us. By the way, they already asked for it, as they told Jesus, Your blood be upon us and our children. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But Peter, you got to love Peter's transformation, right? The apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. He usually speaks first, and he's usually wrong. <laughs> what does God do with people? Amen? What does God do with people? Full of courage here, denied Jesus three times. What does God do with people? Transforms them. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so was the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged. When culture hears the truth, they will rage and stand there and smile. Jesus says, woes to you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. If you're living the Christian life correctly, someone will not like you. Don't pick a fight, but don't be afraid of one. When they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and he gave orders to put these men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before the days of Thaddeus, he rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed. After him came Judas the Galilean. He rose up. In the days of the census, and he drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all followed him were scattered. So in this present case, so you actually think this guy's trying to help. He's just trying to say, this is a nothing thing. Relax. Yeah. Look at us now. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fall. But is it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Church, if it is of God, no one can overthrow it. And if it is of man, it will crumble. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. You might be even found to be opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles in, they beat them, and they charged them to not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. What happens next? And I'm going to pray and be done. 
Then they left the presence of that council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they just broadened their scope at this point. They were just in the temple. You're going to beat us, now we're visiting homes. And in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Give us some churches who will live like this again. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your kindness to us. Empower us to live boldly before you, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pray for those who persecute and turn the other cheek. Father, prepare us for what you have called us to. We know that you have gone before us, and we know that you have won. Christ is Lord, and we are your people. In Jesus' name, amen.